Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Civic Report. It's May 17th, 2023, and we are reporting for the news of May 15th to May 21st. We want to make sure you're informed about the current legislation. We believe that being informed is essential to understanding the challenges facing our communities. We want to make sure you have the right tools to prepare for any kind of conversation you may need to have with your loved ones about what this means to you and how it impacts our communities. This week, Athena Pramakis and Noah Buchanan sit with our correspondent from the Transformations Project, Elliot Owen. I'm Caroline Penny, creator and producer of the Trans Narrative Podcast, and I wanted to take this time prior to our conversation with Elliot and talk personally about what we're doing here in the Civic Report. The Trans Narrative Podcast Trans Narrative Civic Report is an important resource that aims to educate the public and promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. We believe that everyone has the right to be informed and that access to accurate and unbiased information is essential for a functioning democracy. Our report explores the rise of fascism and how it compares to democracy, as well as how to dissect misinformation and tackle the onslaught of the anti-trans legislation being proposed. We are a proud partner with the Transformations Project a trans-led nonprofit that tracks anti-trans legislation being proposed, voted on, and passed in the United States. Their work is essential to understanding the challenges facing the trans community and promoting equity and justice. Through meaningful conversation and community engagement, we hope to foster a dialogue that promotes understanding and empathy. And um, I'm really excited to have this opportunity now with you, Elliot, personally, to to sit with you on the Trans Narrative Podcast, our weekly civic report, and just um, first thank you personally and thank your team. And I'm really excited to have this collaboration. I think that in a time of, of misinformation and so much opinion that um, as people that, that, that are activists and advocates, it's, it's so important to, to provide what's happening in the world void of so much opinion and emotion because we need we need more of that and we're not getting that nowhere do we look even on the mainstream do they provide accurate and non-biased information that's always angled with something and so our goal here really is to just ensure that we're providing what's happening in this country um accurately and and unbiased and respectfully i think i think respectfully is another thing that that we're lacking in um in in media so i'm really excited to have you here from the transformations project and before you get started with athena and noah i wanted to ask you um a little bit about how you got involved with the transformations project and what brought you here with us today of course so i began with the transformations project a little around a year ago i I had extra time to join nonprofit and I heard through the grapevine about TFP right when they were not when they were starting out, but definitely on the smaller side. And I joined their social media team. I lend my face and voice to their TikTok and YouTube. And we have partnered with the Trans Narrative Podcast to sort of break into a different media and to showcase some of the legislation that is being uh, proposed and passed in the United States. Legislation is the bread and butter of the Transformations Project. That is all that we do and all that we focus on. Because just since the start of 2023, there have been more than 540 anti-trans bills being proposed in over around 35 states. So keeping up with that legislative crisis 
that endemic of anti-trans bills being proposed and passed is essential to keeping people educated and to keep the fight going. You know, Elliot, when we, when I had started this podcast, it, it was only me. And one of the things that I, I tried to do was I wanted to hear the stories of people across this country. And I, and I just, I really wanted to hear it raw and authentic without anything edited. That was originally the goal. Um, and, and I think that we've achieved that. And I think that we've enhanced uh, the goal. And, and one of the things that I, that I struggled with was balancing it with news and balancing it with information, because that's something that's meaningful to me. And I, I had in the very first episode of this show talked about the, at the time, 29 states that were passing anti-trans legislation. And that was kind of the fuel that set the show in existence, because in January of 2022, um, I, I had this idea in my head and I didn't know what to do. But when I had, when I'd come to terms with that and that understanding of how many states were doing that, um, I wasn't as informed. I was going through a personal crisis. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the, in the world at the time. And so when I found that out, it was, it was a shock. And so to be here a year and a half later, partnering with a organization that that provides the the updates to anti-trans legislations it's it's meaningful and i'm very grateful that you're here um before you jump into your conversations or the conversation with athena and noah um lastly what have uh we've done four of these now four of these civic reports here on this uh the trans narrative podcast what have um what has been your experience so far being in this new type of medium is there anything that you've learned that's um, you kind of enhance what you're doing with uh, the Transformations Project? Yeah, well, being on a podcasting side of it has been new for me. I've had some experience with doing short form video content, so a longer form audio content. That was entirely new for me, but I have found something that I really love doing. And it also just sort of help me focus on the idea that it's really important to get the news and the information out there in as many different mediums as possible because we can post something on instagram sure not everyone's on instagram some people are on twitter or some people want videos or some people want a podcast format and making sure that we get that information out there in whatever format people want to see it in has it's so crucial to keeping the fight going and I've loved breaking into this new medium for me and being able to do that. You had mentioned that the legislative period, um, or you will mention, I guess, uh, that the legislative period is um, coming to an end here, and that is the bread and butter of your organization. So what will you be doing to continue to fight during that off period, and what will you be doing to prepare for the next legislative season? Yeah, so during the off period, there's still lots that people can do and that what we'll be focusing on. Focusing on supporting the trans non-binary intersex community via education about their and our issues and realities. Learning from reliable sources and listening to personal experiences is the best way to learn what life is like for a transgender non-binary intersex individual in the United States. Also speaking up and taking action against the transphobia, cisnormativity, intersexism, and other forms of oppression, being able to challenge those harmful stereotypes and misinformation. And we will be supporting 
and or joining campaigns and movements that'll be occurring during the off season. Also, we would like to be able to provide practical support for trans non-binary intersex people who might be struggling or in need, helping them access resources or services and also celebrating achievements and joys within the community are essential. And that's something that we will like to be focusing on during this off season. Oops, that's wonderful. So before, um, so this week, um, we have a report, the Trans Narrative Civic Report. Uh, can you provide us a little context of what that is this week that you'll be discussing with Noah and Athena? Yeah, the Trans Narrative Civic Report this week will be focusing a lot on intersectionality within the oppression that uh, we are facing and within the community, accessibility to healthcare coverage and information, and also the mental health and advocacy and support. Thank you. Well, with that being said, I think I'm going to hop off and let it. Uh, Caroline, let, you did uh, so much better than me. Yes. Thank you. Oh my God, <laughs> golly, I'm sorry. It's not a competition, Athena. I know it's not, but it's a collaboration, and you did a great job. That's all I'm saying. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Athena Promakis with the Trans Narrative Civic Report, joined today by our correspondents Noah Buchanan and Elliot Ownsby. Uh, and Elliot, you're here to bring us today some news about the legislation that's been coming through. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Our focus for this week's report is to focus on legislation with emphasis on trans, non-binary, and the intersex community, and trans youth focusing on intersectionality, accessibility, and research backing up gender-affirming care and mental health in these communities. Uh, how are you all doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? Excellent, doing excellent myself. Uh, and Noah, you feeling well? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> Aren't we all? Now, the legislative weather might not be as as good this uh, week. So, what news do we have to share today? Yeah, I have a couple bills. Um, Oklahoma SB 129 causes gender affirming health care providing to be a felony. And Florida H 1521, which is your run of the mill bathroom bill, which, as we all know, both these bills are just a violation of human rights and civil liberties and also have an increased risk of violence and suicide. So those are some standout ones right off the bat that I've noticed. But while we are currently in this legislative swing, there's been a huge flood of just legislative movements that have been detrimental to the transgender intersex and non-binary communities yeah absolutely it's it's been difficult to kind of keep track of all of that and noah you've been putting together some projects to help people keep these uh these different threads uh intact can you tell us a little bit about how we can kind of help keep our finger on the pulse there really at the end of the day it's like people really need to pay attention to what's going on and ways we can empower each other and to lift each other up right now and that's essentially what i would like to do this country is so filled with hate and darkness there's like zero light of empathy and compassion we need to have that more than ever now so the resources that i am building i am building interactive maps to try to get people to look at things visually be like hey like this is what is really going on this is what is there so people can actually see it i'm one of those type of people that i learn visually i'm not one of those people that just likes to read if i do it it's like 
it, it just brings grad school vibes for me. I mean, I'm almost done with my grad school program and I, I kind of want to avoid like going down that route and making people feel that way. It's like, I want to give people that energy to motivate them to actually do something. Because if you kind of look at overall, like in the news, all we're hearing is depression, like it's depressive and like it's impacting our mental health pretty significantly. I mean, it's impact or impacting our youth. And what was it like this recent survey from the Trevor Project, like two thirds of children are getting negatively impacted with all this bad stuff that's going on. be able to provide ways to be like, you know what? Yes, there's all this bad stuff that's going on, but we need to keep that motivation to fight and to empower people so that we that way we can get the things that we need instead of you know, just leaving people upset and hopeless and not doing anything. We we need to lift each other up. And that's essentially what I would like to do with these maps, but also in a sense, remind our siblings and the LGBTQIA plus that we need to be united. We can't be divided. Enough with the petty crap. We we need to unite right now because this is getting real, and, and like like make it was suggested earlier, like there's just a wave of things going down legislatively, and right now we can't afford to sit there and mess around. We have to take action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and and action is being taken in in lots of different places, uh, and really just making sure that you can understand where you're at. Uh, in the country and and uh, make sure that you know your support networks uh, because local support networks still exist no matter where you are in the United States. It's great to reach out and find community and to help understand uh, these bills. So if we can talk a little bit about like kind of the concrete ways to survive, say like in a state where there's a, a bathroom bill ban, like where Florida is trying to pass it. Uh, right now, what kind of impact would you see on the on the ground floor? Uh, Elliot, have you seen any any discussion about how that might uh, affect you know the day-to-day life of transgender people in Florida? Yeah, there's sort of two big things about it. It's physical safety and mental safety. So with physical safety, it's not like people are going to be arrested in a huge way for using a bathroom or providing gender-affirming health care. It creates this sense of empowerment for people who oppose transgender, intersex, non-binary individuals. They can, quote, take matters into their own hands or do vigilante justice. Justice, once again, being in air quotes, heavy air quotes. And also creating an unsafe environment for trans individuals, especially youth. It undermines the rights and dignity. It denies access to essential and affirming services and support. It increases risks of mental health problems like depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, even PTSD, which have higher rates in trans, non-binary, and intersex individuals. Yeah, and to be clear, the medical uh, foundations, uh, the World Health Organizations are all showing that there are positive benefits to gender-affirming care. Uh, and uh, denying the ability for patients to make their own choices as individuals is happening in multiple states. And we see those uh, passing uh, in Missouri. They have a bill heading to the governor's desk to uh, prevent gender-affirming care for uh, people under the age of 18 as well. Uh, but all, all these things are impacting people in different levels. And really the trans bathroom level is, is right. You're not going to see a whole lot of people that are going to be going to jail over this or protesting and in, in ways like this over the street, but 
the mental health of people in Florida who are transgender, intersex, or non-binary uh, is, is going to be a, a lot dependent on their, their neighbors' uh, valuations of them. And we know in rural areas that that isn't necessarily as robust of, of a, a community. Um, so when we talk about uh, the key takeaways, uh, I, I would definitely say finding support networks, uh, making sure that you're aware of what impacts you have uh, in local uh, laws. And no, I know you do have uh, that map here to uh, provide for us as well. Um, and we'll provide that link in the, the show notes and everything. Uh, now, there's also just kind of uh, intersectionality to discuss because, like I said, rural environments aren't necessarily the same as as uh, more urban environments. And people of color, uh, you know, Black, Indigenous people of color, uh, and uh, people who are, you know, not necessarily as passing in, in their presentation could experience more uh, difficulties. Um, so let's talk about maybe some some ways that we can find support. Uh, is, is there any other way that we can find ways to reach out and find community for each other today, uh, in these days? Well, I will tell you, um, right now, I'm actually in the processes of developing kind of like a peer support group because I'm in the last stages of my master's program. Um, so just in case if you, some of you don't know, I am actually going to school to become a licensed professional clinical counselor. I'm going to be graduating in November, but um, so during my internship, I actually have to accrue group hours. And so um, I actually may have found a loophole to where, so like with mental health providers, we have to practice in our state. We have to see clients in our state. However, if you're developing like a general, like peer support group, I can virtually see anyone in any state. So that is something that I am trying to put together. I would like to develop a peer support group for LGBTQIA plus folks, plus building a support group for LGBTQIA plus youth, um, plus an additional support group for parents for trans youth or LGBTQIA plus youth. Because, you know, really going looking through like the Trevor Project, I'm not sure if any of you have read the recent one, but they came out with a survey in 2023 and they only said 35% of the youth are only feeling supported at home. Most of that affirmative support that youth are receiving is online. It's about 70%. 52% are only experiencing support in school. I would say start there. Education is important, and that's how we're going to empower people. Because I've always said this, what creates a stigma? Really, one mess up. It only takes one flaw or one mess up to create a stigma. And how to create, or how to stop the stigma is by educating and empowering people. We can show stats. I, that's the thing, too. People don't really like to show the science, either. I would like to make pamphlets to bring awareness to be like, hey, like, did you know actually 35% of kids are feeling safe at home? Well, here, check this out. This is a way that you can actually support your youth and empower your youth. And this is how you can actually support adults as well, because there are many of us that don't have that passing privilege to where they could use the bathroom or go into a public space. So I feel like now I think the solution is going to have to be we got to bring community together. We got to support each other. There needs to be more people 
advocating for support groups. And that is something that I am trying to develop with my network by building chapters. We're trying to build support groups within our chapters in each state. I know Michigan right now we're developing a support group for trans women up there. So like just things like that, we would like to build a youth mentorship program because youth need mentors. They need that because if they're not getting that support at home, Let's have somebody else kind of help step in and like, hey, I'm a safe, neutral person to talk to, something like that. That would that would be my solution, honestly, is that we just need to get together and, you know, just encourage people to learn because apparently people don't want us to learn in this country. So. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of unfortunate, but education is uh, going to be our silver bullet for a, a lot of this. And in Missouri, even where they passed a, a bill, uh, you know, opposing gender affirming care, it specifically states it cannot restrict the free speech of people providing care. So we still have the ability to show respect to the people that we love. Uh, and we still have the ability to address people as they, uh, you know, uh, wish to be addressed. Um, so like uh, another way is that they're trying to restrict access to care at different levels. In Florida, for example, there is a bill to prevent uh, nurse practitioners from providing uh, gender affirming care, which is, I think I heard about 83% of the care provided. Elliot, do you have any more information about that bill, how that's been uh, progressing? I don't have information on that specific bill, but lots of very similar bills have been coming out. There's a lot of I guess easy is a good way to put it. There's been a lot of easy ways for these legislators to block gender affirming health care. They don't need to just do an outright ban. Uh, banning insurance coverage, especially for Medicare and Medicaid, that is an easy way for them to block it. Also, uh, there is a shortage of trained and experienced providers, lack of cultural competence, sensitivity, and refusal to care due to bias or beliefs. Not having any protections about that severely limits how gender-affirming healthcare can be distributed. Also, the laws that restrict access to gender-affirming healthcare for minors or allow discrimination based on gender identity or even making changing your name difficult or gender marker change difficult, that also creates this stigma and discrimination, which leads to harassment, violence, internalized transphobia, and just self-doubt with the individual. Being able to advocate for more inclusive and comprehensive insurance coverage and policies for gender-affirming care at the state and federal levels is a fantastic way to help ensure that gender-affirming healthcare can stay accessible. Also, if there's a way to legislate increasing the availability and accessibility of providers who are trained and competent in providing such health care, whether they have specific education, training, mentorship, and or if they even provide it through telehealth programs. Mandating that training and competence is another way that we can sort of help make sure gender affirming health care stays accessible and available. Yeah. Also, Yes, apologies. Oh, uh, no uh, worries. I was, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, simplifying and standardizing the process for receiving gender affirming health care and even changing your name or gender markers on official documents across the states. That is such a huge barrier that a lot of people have. It The process to get hormones or puberty blockers or even change your name, it varies wildly depending on what state you're at. 
in places such as Maryland, you can make your gender marker X at the DMV, no questions asked. Other places, there are legal loopholes you have to require. They require having surgeries or living in the identity for X amount of years, a psychiatrist note. It, it complicates it and makes it difficult, especially if you are moving across states. It is whole different games, depending on where you're at. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. And with some of the bills that are being passed just to increase the demand that's on mental health care providers, it does mean that there will be a need for higher awareness and training in those positions to, uh, you know, uh, and that's a little bit of a, a positive spin for it. People will have to be a little bit more aware to take care of the people who are required to seek this kind of, of support. Uh, I know I've heard some people saying that if you can found a support group doing that hour-long training for some of those bills that would require it in that support group is a helpful way to make sure that you don't feel singled out or if you don't feel like you've got a single person who's uh, going to be providing affirming care for you in the way that you want. Um, but yeah, seeking out those those other groups and making sure that the groups that you do have and maintain are accessible to as many people as possible through you know uh, telehealth and through uh, making it uh, you know visually accessible as well as audibly accessible, whatever ways that you can. Um, so it is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, do we have any other uh, uh, ways that we could help uh, our our listeners who might be struggling with the, the feelings that things are coming very rapidly against them or feelings that they might be excluded or, or uh, uh, feel left out from their communities. Yeah, like we mentioned so, before. Um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. I think we had a slight lag. Um, like we mentioned before, providing the training and education for mental health providers on the specific needs and experiences of trans, non-binary, intersex individuals, and also best practices for standards of care. That is a huge thing. But on a smaller, more personal level, being able to create safe and supportive places for these individuals, uh, whether it's LGBTQI plus friendly clinics or online platforms, just having a safe space, whether it is a classroom that you teach in or a house where your kids can have their friends come over. It's integral for mental health. Support in home, amongst your peers, amongst your community can help with problems such as the anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation in ways that you, like, you wouldn't even believe, especially in states where the legislation is not on their side. Absolutely. Uh, and no, did you have some uh, uh, something else to add to that as well? Well, just speaking as a mental health provider, I mean, there's a lot wrong with mental health in general. Like, I mean, if you put like kind of our issues to the side, I mean, we have people already that don't even want to go to therapy at all because there's an existing st stigma within our field and it's constantly getting reinforced. So on honestly, I agree mental health is essential. It's needed, but I mean, mental health in itself, we need to do better within our work. And I know you mentioned competency. That is the big key thing right there because in our ethical codes, it requires us to be competent. If we're not competent on something, we're supposed to take a step back. If we don't do that, 
then I guess we're not going to be able to practice therapy because like that is a big key component when it comes to doing any type of therapy. And my thing with competency, I, I can't speak for every university, but I can at least speak on behalf of mine is that they don't offer LGBTQIA plus training for therapists. They bring it up maybe a couple times in multicultural counseling, um, human sexuality. We talked about LGBTQIA plus issues for a week. No books. We just had to read articles like it really wasn't effective at all. So, like, I mean, it really honestly, if it was for me when it comes to mental health, I need we need to advocate for education to be in these programs in these counseling programs. I mean, for me, I wouldn't even consider just it. I would take it a step further with just having it as as a specialization. But like it to have that stuff there in our education as mental health providers, I think it would definitely reduce the amount of people like the hesitancy of wanting to come to counseling because we would have that knowledge. But if you want to go there on the stages of competency, one thing that I have learned as a therapist is to simply, if you really don't know, just simply say you don't know. Like I have a client that I'm working with that there's some things I really have zero clue about what the hell it is. So I essentially just ask the clients, like, tell me more about that. What does that mean to you? So simply even just like asking those questions, both of us can learn as a therapist, as a client, we need to be reinforcing in the field of mental health and advocating that we need to show compassionate and care to these clients. Because I know most of you probably have seen what's going on in the bills. It affects mental health providers too. Like in some of these bills, it actually gives us permission to deny trans people if it goes against our religious and moral beliefs. It gives us that per permission. There's people trying to promote conversion therapy practices. We need to be advocating more that conversion therapy needs to be banned. So like that is something that we need to do in mental health. We need to step up as healthcare providers, tell people that this stuff is unethical, and finally ban like at least conversion therapy because that that's that's the problem right now and that's so, one pinpoint uh, no worries that's one good pinpoint you can put on your map for kansas city they did uh say that the county will be uh banning conversion therapy uh as part of their uh their policy uh so there are some other ways great that, that are great ways to be advocates in whatever position you are I, I mean all i do is customer service but every time i talk to somebody i respect who they are and who they say they are and, and what pronouns that they use uh, coming to people without biases or preconceived notions that uh, does a lot to you know uh, grant people uh, at least the freedom to to be beyond your own prejudice that might be built in. Um, are there any other programs or initiative you'd like to discuss from the Transformations Project then, regarding the mental health then? Yeah, we don't have any specific programs in terms of mental health, although we are incredibly, incredibly aware of the detriment that the anti-trans legislation can have. Every podcast episode, we offer mental health resources at the end because it is so important to focus on the voices and the struggles of trans, non-binary, intersex individuals because we need to empower people like us so that our struggles can be heard. 
Absolutely. That's why we want to put this project together so that our voices are kind of heard as one, not just as a, a, you know, a one-off, so to speak, or a tokenist kind of representation, but to, to all be uh, kind of together on the same pages. Uh, we, we can sort of bypass a lot of, uh, you know, assumptions that people will have to work through really hard at a day-to-day -day level. And so just having a voice where everybody can feel comfortable together is often a, a, a safe project. Uh, right? It's a way, to, it's a project to, to help people feel safe and expressing themselves in where they might not otherwise, or to develop the language and skills uh, that they might need to use to have those day-to-day -day conversations. Um, so we want to make sure that we include, uh, you know, uh, trans non non binary and uh, intersex individuals uh, in our thoughts, uh, you know, before anything else, before we say, write up a paper or maybe generalize uh, anything about who we're talking to. I like the word folks myself. Uh, so you, you folks uh, have uh, been excellent at sharing the resources uh, with us today on some of the legislation. Do we have any other major bills that we need to cover on this, Elliot? Uh, no other major bills to speak of. However, that does not mean that bills are not being passed. The Transformations Project, we keep track of the anti-trans legislation in the United States at local, state, and federal levels. So I would highly recommend viewers and listeners to go to transformationsproject.org, check on their state, check on the state of their friends, and educate themselves about the realities of transgender, non-binary, intersex issues. That was, thanks so much for uh, sitting down with us this week, Elliot, uh, with Noah and Athena. It was a pleasure. And before we hop off, I want to thank the listeners for joining in this week to the Trans Narrative Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd like to join us in any capacity, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or um, what is it, TikTok. And you can email us at transnarrativepodcast.gmail.com. And with that being said, Elliot, could you give us a little context of what we can look forward to in our next civic report? Of course. So now that the legislative cycle has been dying down, we will be focusing on the fallout of what has been happening and how we can prepare for the next legislative cycle. The spike in anti-trans legislation has opened a lot of legislators' eyes to what bills do pass, what bills work, and what bills don't. So this next cycle, I predict, will be more insidious as they will be able to take what works and roll with it and cut out what doesn't work. So we'll be focusing on that, what we can do to keep educating and advocating during this time and how to prepare for the next legislative cycle. Hey everyone, if you like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on May 13, 2023, via Zoom. Today's show was hosted by Caroline Penny and Athena Tramakas. Today's guest co-host was Noah Buchanan. Today's correspondent was Elliot Owenbay from the Transformations Project. The Trans Narrative Podcast was created by Caroline Penny. This episode was edited, directed, and produced by Caroline Penny. The Trans Narrative Podcast was co-developed by Ariel Aki, Athena Fermakis, and Lucy Balzano. Research provided by Athena Fermakis, Caroline Penny, and Mara Newell. Music provided by Gamma Sky's titled Get Up Again. 
The music you hear now has been and produced by Athena Promachus. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters, the easiest way to upload a podcast, formerly known as Anchor. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, now available on YouTube. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarrative. If you'd like to reach out to learn more or be a guest or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>